welcome to Execute Chapter 66, a Star Wars fiction podcast where we discuss canon, legends, comics, and more. With me today, of course, are my co-hosts, Chad Schunk and Ryan Schweck. And over to you, Chad. As a reminder, this is a book club, not a review show. So we're going to be assuming that anyone listening to this has either read the material or doesn't care. Uh, in addition to that, we may be spoiling other things from other Star Wars properties. We don't know, but that's your spoiler warning. We're going to talk Star Wars like we're just going to talk Star Wars. And Ryan, did anything happen in the world of Star Wars this week? Uh, yeah, it was kind of a, a slow news week, which is not surprising, you know, considering what's all going on. Uh, Hasbro did have a fan Star Wars Appreciation Day on last Tuesday and announced some more Star Wars black figures um, and released, if you listen to the main Needless Things podcast, you've heard us talk about the carbonized figures. Uh, they released a Boba Fett and a Stormtrooper that are pretty nice looking. I don't really care much about them, but you can get them now on the major entertainment or big bag toy store dork side all the big retailers um another bit of news that happened this week mr filoni released some concept art that had a lot of people talking um it's a what looks like a storyboard maybe um of ahsoka dressed in her in-scene rebels the big white kind of cape looking thing um, right. and she is riding a beast with rex some people have thought that this indicates that he might be in the second season of Mandalorian. Um, I'm starting to think that the overload of Rex and Ahsoka and more talk about Sabine leads more towards they're getting ready for whatever is going to come next from his side versus the Mandalorian. So we'll see. It's a nice piece of concept art, and it may just be that. It may just be something that they had drawn up at the end of Rebels. Who knows? Um, but we'll see. And then the last piece of news that's kind of a downer, uh, Andrew Jack, who played Resistance Major Emmett in Force Awakens and Last Jedi, and he was also the voice dialect coach for pretty much all the new movies except for uh, Rise of Skywalker, passed away this week from the coronavirus. So, you know, that's a shame, and I hate that. But that's about all we have for news this week. Yeah, everybody on the Star Wars online community seemed pretty bummed. Um, I know JJ posted about it yeah. and uh, other people. So, yeah, that's really sad. Um, I saw the Boba Fett, I think. Yep. The Carbonized Boba Fett, but uh, I hadn't seen any of the other announcements. So Yeah, you know, we got we finally got Admiral Akbar, really nice new Vader. Um, what was the other one? And finally, a Beskar Armor Mandalorian, uh, Ewok, and but still... No damn Zeb. It's all I want. When will they release my Zeb? I, I, I need a General Calrissian. Yeah. And a Nine Nub to complete my Cruise of the Falcon collection. Mm-hmm. Because I have them all, but I need that one. Yeah, I'm expecting to see some big announcements on, on or before May the 4th, because they'll have a big push release then. So. But where is Zeb? What was that? Where is Zeb? Where, where is, is he? Zeb? Yeah, I mean, why, why, why? They've got everybody else came out, right? Yeah, well, what everybody thinks they've been trying. Um, Marvel Legends did it first, and now Star Wars is getting into it, where they release deluxe figures. Um, so we saw the heavy gunner from the Mandalorian, the Imperial Pro droids about to come out, and oh, yeah. so some people are thinking that 
Zeb is big enough that they're going to do a deluxe figure for him. And that's kind of, as they've kind of got this deluxe series going, that's what they've been waiting for. Cause he should, I, come, with, he should come with callus. That would be awesome. It should be a two pack. <sighs> One can hope. But so would that, uh, would my Moloch that I bought for like 99 cents at target because they're a deluxe figure. He is. He, that is okay. one of the first deluxe. Did you, I have not bought Moloch yet. I refuse He's, to purchase Moloch for anything less than nine ninety nine, and I have yet yeah. to see him go that low. So, but Target, every Target has forty copies, 40, yeah. 40 copies. Yeah, there are twenty three at my local Target. I count every time I'm there and wonder <laughs> why it has not gone on clearance yet. Yeah, I, I think they just forgot that Solo even happened. Oh. <laughs> so maybe it doesn't show up in the computer anymore. Maybe not. The only one that I really like, I don't know what it's considered, but I have the Infus Nest Speeder. Yeah, the vehicle. Yeah, yeah, that thing's really nice. I got that for 10 bucks too one day. That was awesome. What? Holy cow. That thing is amazing. It is huge. Yeah, we, uh, they, that speeder's really good. The speeder bikes they did a few years ago are really awesome. Um, and then they, you were able to buy the Dubacks for nine bucks one day on um infinite or uh, entertainment earth and yeah. friend of the show mr hoffman bought eight of them <laughs> so i was like at his house and i was like hey give me some of those and he's sure and no not? one needs that many do-backs <laughs> yeah so yeah okay cool so what are we talking about today beth all right so we are finally fulfilling our promise of talking about master and apprentice and as a good tie-in, before we actually start into the book, I thought it might be nice to take a minute to discuss Obi-Wan as a character and his arc of growth overall. Because when I was a kid, I just had no questions about why Ben was just sitting out there in the desert waiting to be an old man ex machina. He was there and he was supposed to be there and made sense to me at the time. But as the movies went on, and of course, I also started getting older, I kind of started to wonder, like, wait, what the hell is he doing? Why is he out there? What has he been doing all these years? Why was he sitting in the desert on his ass all these years when the galaxy clearly needed him? Obviously, he was there to look after Luke, but why was that so important to him? So one of the great things that the prequels actually did was to give Obi-Wan a, a why, and, of course, the books and the cartoons have kind of given that even more depth. But, obviously, it did start with the prequels. So, Obi-Wan is really kind of a tragic character to me because not only did he think he was entirely alone in the universe after Order 66, except, except for Yoda, who was also going into hiding, but he had to hide from Sheev and then steer clear of everyone else he knew who was still alive. So Bale couldn't tell him Ahsoka was alive. And basically the only communication that he even had was trying to talk to his dead mentor, which is pretty sad as well. Although I do wonder that he could reach so deeply into the force that he could contact Qui-Gon, but he couldn't feel Ahsoka out there. So it's, I, it's best not to ask questions when it comes to force ghosts. Yeah. It's just best well, not to ask questions. It's just a thing. Yeah. Well, and there is the deleted scene from Return of the Jedi where, you know, they make it clear that Yoda and Ben have been talking. Um, there's a scene when Yoda says, Ben wanted to tell you, and I told him he could. Now, it's a deleted scene, so it's not in canon anymore. But, you know, at least they seem to think about some of that stuff back then. It's still very wishy-washy. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. And then, just, you know, there's the time Darth Maul just showed up. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you thought he was dead and chopped in half. You're hanging out at your campfire. Oh, it's Darth Maul. Oh, hey, Maul. How's it going? Yeah. Guess I'll kill you again. Which, and I know we push it a lot, but if you have not watched Rebels, yeah, the final scene with Obi-Wan and Darth Maul is amazing. I, that may be my favorite scene in the whole series. It was short for how much buildup it had, but it was so good. I'm, I'm partial to Twilight of the Apprentice, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a great moment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm a big fan of Obi-Wan. Um, particularly the Ewan McGregor version of him. Uh, and I think, you know, the book we're going to talk about furthered that even more when you kind of see who he is and how he trained him and all that stuff and kind of how he became who he was. Yeah, I really hope they go through with the Obi-Wan show. I think it'll be really good. I don't know how it'll work or what it'll be about, but. They hired a new writer just today. They announced a new writer they brought on to the Obi-Wan show. Um, so, because they stopped production due to the story reasons. Mm-hmm. And obviously they're not in production now, but where it came out today, they hired a new writer to send it in a new direction. So hopefully that will, once, hopefully all this is behind us, they'll get back to that. Um, but I think there's a, there's a, uh, a, a decent chance it doesn't happen, I would say, just because they've already halted production once. Mm-hmm. Which is a shame. You know, I, I imagine that's a really hard story to crack. Because it has to fall in such strict guidelines on what he can do and how to keep it in canon. Like, that's got to be a lot harder than writing The Mandalorian or anything like that. The When they were talking about an Obi-Wan movie, we all thought that was a bad idea because of that. Yeah. Because in order to make it a movie that people are going to spend $15 to go see in the theater, there's got to be spaceships and stuff, you know? And mm-hmm. um and the, an Obi-Wan story, if it's just him on Tatooine, can't really have that unless they kind of decide to break out of what we think, as Beth talked about, him just kind of hanging out in the desert for 19 years. Yeah. So it's, well, it's the, a tough The now uh, legend book, uh, Kenobi, I think, is a really good jumping off point. But again, it's it's still just him in the desert. And even though it's got him doing things besides just sitting in a hut... It's not spaceships, and there's not lots of things happening that would be, I don't know, if it's, it would be exciting enough for people who aren't already deeply invested in a character like that. Yeah. Well, it's kind yeah, of I mean, difficult. It's a if, it was a Western. Yeah. Uh, if he goes off planet with a bunch of spaceships and pulls his lightsaber out, like, all the alarm bells are going to go off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't want to see that. So that'll be a, a hard thing to get around why, you know, Vader doesn't start tracking that down immediately. That's a good point. John Jackson Miller's novel Kenobi, I, I really liked. And it, it's kind of like Obi-Wan Kenobi in The Searchers. It's like a John Ford Western um, where the Tuscan Raiders substitute in for the Native Americans. Um, but I, I, I agree with you. I think that's the way to go. You know, a Western, a samurai film, mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, but it has to be it has to be small. And as we learned from Solo, people don't necessarily want to see small when it comes mm-hmm. to Star Wars, when it comes to Star Wars movies, at least. So that's why the idea of a show was always, to me, the best bet to tell a more satisfying story and do it correctly. And well, here's hoping. No, I absolutely hope so. I, I like Obi-Wan as well. He, it is interesting with, the, uh, with all the Jedi now that the saga's over, and, and specifically the prequels, how much of a failure like all of our heroes are. Like, uh-huh. like 
I was thinking about this today. In the nine movies, the only two people that aren't failures are Leia and Ray. Right? Everybody else yeah. kind of falls by the wayside. And and Obi Wan is and Yoda together are kind of. I mean, they're Luke's example, right? When in in when Luke goes into hiding in the sequel trilogy, he's just doing what his teachers did. And so, I learned it from watching you, Dad. <laughs> it is. I mean, it really is. I mean, it, it, they are his fathers, you know, because it's Star Wars and, you know, fathers. But I, I, I think Obi-Wan is an interesting character because, as you talked about him hanging out in the desert, he's hanging out in the desert to me because he's, he's a failure. <laughs> you know, he failed in the one thing he was tasked to do. That's what, to me, is tragic about Qui-Gon's final wish mm-hmm. is that, you know, and yes, some of the some of it was out of his hands, out of Obi-Wan's hands, and there were forces that he couldn't have predicted or controlled. But still, he 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 didn't do it. <laughs> he failed. At he, keeping... fa- he failed Anakin. He failed Qui-Gon. He failed the entire Jedi Order. He failed the Force. Yeah, and so did Yoda, and so did all the others. Um, you know, looking now that we've kind of said got this kind of macro view of the whole saga, you start to realize that Jedi really aren't the heroes. They are heroic, and they do good things, but, you know, especially at the time, and I think this book kind of hits on that, especially with its, um, uh, when we get into kind of the first leanings of uh, Dooku leaving the Order, is it, that we really are at the end of the rope with these guys. And, and Yoda may not be the great, he may be super wise and smart and powerful, but he may not be the great Jedi we think he is, because the Jedi Order fell under his watch. And... Obi-Wan is one of those characters. And, and I agree that Ewan McGregor is probably, along with Ian McDiarmid, the actor that comes out of the prequels looking the best. Um, nobody had any complaints about uh, Ewan McGregor's performance uh-huh. in the prequels. He manages to look like he's having fun. He manages to be likable, even when delivering horrible dialogue. But I, I would be remiss not to give credit to, and now I'm forgetting his name, is it something Taylor? Arnold? Something Taylor. Who plays him on Clone Wars. Oh, yeah. I can't think of his name. Either. Uh, I like his version of Obi-Wan as well. Mm-hmm. I think he's great. And, um, and we, you know, we can't, can't, we can't uh, dismiss the contribution of Alec Guinness, at least in the first movie. Um, Empire and Jedi, he did not want to be there. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely didn't. But, you know, he's a, he's a nice veteran presence in, in the original Star Wars. And he's always been a cool character, but it's just interesting looking back that uh, so many of these people aren't heroes anymore, aren't heroes to me anymore, <laughs> um, uh, because of how the how it all unfolded. Okay. Anybody else got any other thoughts about Obi Wan before we move on to the book? No. Let's get into it. All right. So I could not find a synopsis of this book that I was pleased with at all. So I wrote my own, and hopefully it doesn't suck. Excellent. Um, so here goes. Taking a Padawan is the greatest responsibility a Jedi Master can have. Unfortunately, even after several years working together, Qui-Gon Jinn and his apprentice Obi-Wan Kenobi just don't seem to be able to make their partnership work. Even as Qui-Gon is considering ending their relationship, a very unexpected invitation to join the Jedi Council could give him an easy out. But at what cost to Obi-Wan? While they each contemplate their failures and their futures, a new mission forces Qui-Gon to face his past and Obi-Wan to see his master in a new light. Another of Dooku's former Padawans and one-time mentor of Qui-Gon has asked for his help. 
Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan must work together as never before to unravel a mystery of terrorism, political intrigue, and the very nature of the Force itself if they are to save a young princess and secure freedom and prosperity for the people of Pyjol. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's that pretty good. I think. <laughs> yeah. No, that was good. You should so, write the dust jacket. <laughs> um, so, biggest first thing I, I want to take away from this and get into is, let's talk about prophecies. Because we obviously learn a lot about why Qui-Gon is so set on Anakin. We also learn about Dooku through that as well and all these prophecies. So... Two of them, I, I kind of wonder, did Claudia Gray get some inside info in advance? Because when the righteous lose the light, evil once dead shall return is clearly about Palpatine. Uh-huh. We, we like to call him Sheev on this show. Uh, I know. <laughs> I, I messed up. I called him Sheev yeah. earlier. But... You did. You did. We got to get at least one Sheev in for episode. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then he who learns to conquer death will through his greatest student live again. Right, also, so that's the big one. Yeah. That's the one everybody, you know, that was grabbed tough. onto. And I think at first I latched on to um, the, it was about Palpatine and it was about him living again. But on the other side, and now that I've kind of been separated from it, is it about Qui-Gon? That's and what I mean. Yeah, it's, it's how Qui-Gon, you know, realized that he is able to live on. Hmm. I, I actually think it is about Qui-Gon um, because of that. His greatest student. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if that makes sense to me. The, the, I mean, they both work. That's why it's a prophecy. <laughs> and, and right. Is that you can plug a little lot of things into them. But yeah, I know I'm always iffy on prophecies just because... Um, as a writer, they tend to be real easy crutches to shove into a story. I was never a big fan of them putting the prophecies in the Phantom Menace because it was like, don't tell me he's going to be the chosen one. Just let it be, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Because a prophecy either, narratively, a prophecy either fulfills itself, and that's kind of dull, or a prophecy doesn't, and then what was the point of it? So, uh, But I thought that they did manage to make them more interesting. Yeah. In this book, then I, I found them before. Um, but as far as who they who they meet, who they're talking about, I don't know. Some of them are very easy to figure out. Well, yeah. yeah. I think the one I liked is the where is it? Only through sacrifice of many Jedi will the Order cleanse the sin done to the nameless. The danger of the past is not the past, but sleeps in an egg. When the egg cracks, it will threaten the entire galaxy. When the Force itself sickens, past and future must split and combine. And then the Chosen One, born of no father. And so I think it like lays down, you know, Qui-Gon was already buying into these prophecies and seeing everything going bad around him. And this just backed it up even more. And I really like the, the nameless thing, because, again, in this book, you know, they get into the slavery part yeah. that shows up in The Phantom Menace, like the Jedi you know, talked a big game about being for the light and all this stuff. But you see here again, because the Republic won't get involved in slavery, they stay out of it too. Um, the latest Clone Wars touched on it a little bit too. Yeah. See, I thought that the nameless referred to the clones. Mm -hmm. That could be it too. Yeah. But I don't know. Too. 
Yeah, no. Damn it, vague it, prophecies. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, I think I think these are a little more interesting than there will be a chosen one that will bring balance to the force. Like, okay. Chosen even the phrase chosen one is just kind of hacky. But Yeah. Uh I you know, in that one, you know, we could argue for years over what balance to the force actually means. Mm-hmm. But you know, that Anakin probably kind of did bring balance to the force. Um but yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, but uh, you know, he took he took the long way. But you know. I, I read some article once, I don't remember where it was, that said technically the force is balanced if there's two Sith left and two Jedi, so it's pretty balanced. <laughs> not not if you read the books, because there's a lot more Jedi. I know, two. but <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, because we're just canon fit, and yeah, no, there's there's lots of that. But no, I it, um the prophecy stuff in this I found interesting. Because it showed it as a, um, we should say this book takes place, I think, around 40 BBY, I think, about 40 years before the Battle of Yavin. Because it said that Obi-Wan's like 17 in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and according to uh, some source that I found, a Star Wars card trader or something like that, says oh. Obi-Wan was born in 57 BBY. Um, so this would be about 40 years before A New Hope, which would make him 57 in A New Hope. Which, how old was Alleghenis then? Not much older than that. Yeah. So that's about right. Plus, mm-hmm. he's been living in the desert for 19 years, so it ages you a little bit. It's going to triple a dude. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, you get Ewan McGregor turns into Alleghenis. Something bad had to have happened. <laughs> two sons. There's two Cause sons when, on Because when Alleghenis, because when Ewan McGregor's 60, he's going to look, he's still going to look great. Uh, but yeah, the two sons just dry him out. But but the idea that it was... Uh, how to put it, that, that this was like a path of study for Qui-Gon and for other Jedi, I thought was interesting. I liked seeing that stuff where they were, it was, it was, it was something he was studying in the temple, right, in his off time. Right. Well, and it, it gives a good, like, parallel between him and Dooku, where you see, like, Dooku was really into this stuff for a little while, too, and has kind of already gone down this line of thinking, and the two kind of went separate ways for how they kind of bought into it where Qui-Gon was going to stay and fight for the light. And Dooku basically thought, well, this is what's going to happen. The Jedi are rotten. I'm yeah. out of here. So screw it. Have you guys listened to or read Jedi lost yet? Yes. I have okay. not. Okay, uh, I of, of the things that I have gotten audiobooks of, like an idiot, that's the one I actually ordered. <laughs> To read instead right. of getting the audiobook. <laughs> I highly recommend the audiobook for Ahsoka. Um, yeah, I, I haven't. It. I haven't read it yet, so I was. I was just wondering if, because this gives us one thing I really liked about this book is it gives us a nice view of Dooku that we haven't had. Kind of, for lack of a better word, before he goes evil. Mm-hmm. And. I thought that was really interesting, but does Jedi Lost, and you know, we'll get to it eventually, hopefully, but does Jedi Lost, is it about him leaving, or is it... No, it's okay. uh, it's about his childhood, and it kind of gives a little more depth into, you know, eventually what causes him to leave, but it's, it's not about him leaving. It's a lot of Ventress and his relationship, and then she gets to glimpse into his childhood. Oh, okay. All right. I was just wondering. I mean, I definitely plan on listening to it. I recommend listening to it because it's not great to read unless you really like to read a play. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's why I, I, I have it. I just haven't listened to it. Yet. 
So any other prophecies that you guys thought were big to talk about? The other ones, I mean, one of them, you know, happens in the book about the Kyber crystal that's not Kyber crystal. Um, and that's kind of where he starts to buy in, you know, because it says, all right, when this happens, it's prophecy time. Um, that seems pretty minor for a prophecy. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's nice to give him a timeline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're, if you're paying attention and you happen to be there when the Kyber is fe- that is not Kyber is found, otherwise... But it wouldn't be a prophecy if you weren't supposed to be there. Yeah, yeah. okay. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, I do like that all the prophecies are basically like, the Jedi suck. They're going to screw it up. <laughs> Get ready. And then, of course, the Jedi are like, yeah, we don't buy into that anymore. So let's yeah. just put those holocrons in the back. <laughs> Jocasta, go hide those somewhere. Yeah. I I did like, though, that the, the prophecies were in there and that I kind of am interested, not necessarily maybe in a novel about the mystics, but it did interest me in the Jedi mystics. Like, I'd like to see a little more of them. Kind of maybe who some of them were, what they were smoking, what kind of spice they were smoking that gave them all these visions. Mm-hmm. And that could be all High Republic. I mean, that's... Yeah. That's true. You know, it should be around that time, roughly. So maybe we'll see a Jedi mystic back then. Um, now, what did y'all think about as far as Qui-Gon in this book as a character? I, I really liked getting to see his childhood and his training. Mm-hmm. And the person that you see in the prequels is not as great as the person that you see in this book. Because, again, he was another character that was very much kind of thrown by the wayside. He was yet another bearded mentor who dies. Trademark Chad J. Shonk. (laughs) (laughs) I see. I think, I mean, for me, out of all the prequels, Qui-Gon is probably my favorite character in all of them. Um, New one, anyway, that they introduced. And so I like seeing him start to go down that road. I think you're forgetting Rick O'Lee. Yeah. Well, excuse me. I'm obviously not including Plukoon, who is oh, yeah. the best <laughs> Jedi that has ever lived. Right. And, you know, I could have a whole podcast where I talk about Plukoon. But. Well, and you have that Boss Nass fan website, so don't forget about that. Oh, God. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm a big fan of Qui Gon. Um, I kind of like, you know, you've got to like character who really does see what's happening around him and. It almost seems kind of hopeless to fix it. Like he's, you know, he pushes back, but, you know, you know that he's going to fail. I don't know what that feels like at all. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I, I thought this Qui-Gon was on brand. I thought, <laughs> I thought Gray did a really good job of making her, making him fit in with the Qui-Gon that we knew from the movie. Um, I've read more Qui-Gon because uh, in old Expanded Universe novels. Um, but, but yeah, I thought, I, I, I liked him. I thought, I thought it was, a. Uh, I was definitely a little more invested in Obi-Wan, I think. Uh-huh. That's just my own biases. Um, but I, I, I thought, I know I thought I could, I could hear Liam Neeson speaking the words, uh-huh. so, you know, in my head. So that, that's a good sign. Well, is this the first book we've done by Claudia? Yes. Yes. I think it is. So it I is. don't, I don't think it's a far stretch to say that Claudia is the best of the new writers. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I like E.K. Johnson. Yeah. And I, I've grown to like Chuck. 
although I don't think he's writing anymore. Uh, Chuck Wendig. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, Claudia, I think is definitely she's she's produced, in my opinion, the three most solidly like really good books. Yeah, I agree. So far, um, and three of the best that they've had that they've done. So, and her writing's really good too. Well, one of the things this book also did for me with Qui Gon was really make me wonder because you do get to see so much more depth into Qui Gon. How would Anakin's fate have been any different? if Qui-Gon had lived to train him because Qui-Gon has the empathy, the ability to sense what other people need. He's obviously understanding of rebelliousness because he is very frequently rebellious himself. Would anything have been different or is it, you know, it's prophecy. So it's going to happen. That's a really good question. That's a really good question. I don't know because look at, so they have a part where they talk about why Obi-Wan was put with Qui-Gon um, and one that was, he was older, which I liked that that detail at three, they thought he might be too old, um, <laughs> yeah. which already kind of builds in that him being apprehensive about Anakin. Um, but also that when he was younger, Obi-Wan was rebellious. And so they put him with Qui-Gon thinking that his rebellion would be to fall in line and to become this rigid rule follower. Um, and so I don't know which way it would have gone. Like, would you have had an Anakin who is constantly watching someone break the rules and who is already predisposed to questioning and doing his own thing? If you've got a master that's doing that, does it just embolden him more? I don't know. Or would I mean, they have driven, have driven the each other? Would they have driven each other mm-hmm. that way? Yeah. You know, or, or would they have? Or you know, the other, on the other hand, would Qui Gon have been able to cut through the BS faster and seen, been able to see quicker what was happening to him? Right. You know? Well, um, that was my big question: was would Qui Gon have picked up the cues that Obi Wan missed? But you got to remember, Qui Gon fully buys in that Anakin is the chosen one. He does. Obi Wan doesn't. Eh, you know, you don't ever really know if he buys into it or not. So. I don't know if Anakin started doing yeah. all that might have Qui-Gon been like, well, he's the chosen one, you know, or would it have caused him to re-examine what that meant since he was more, more scholarly than Obi-Wan, yeah. right? If he would have, if, cause I don't think that would have, I don't think if he had lived, he would have stopped reading. Right. Yeah. And stopped thinking. And, and, and so that's possible as well. I don't know. It's a very good question that I hadn't thought about actually. Um, cause he did want to train him. I guess, but uh, yeah, I, I I thought that was an interesting twist in this book too. That they were not getting along, um, and that that basically Qui Gon was looking to dump him. Well, they they work so well together in Episode One that yeah. it was a complete surprise to me in this book when that came up. I was like, wait, what? Yeah, I thought that was nice. I like a lot of it too, centered around. Obi-Wan didn't like how he trained him to fight with his lightsaber. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. He just really wanted to learn how to twirl and spin. And yeah. Yeah. Old he wanted to be fancy. Yeah. Well, he did get to do the greatest lightsaber battle in all the movies in uh, Phantom Menace. So. That's true. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. just Qui-Gon was right. You got to learn the basics and master those. <laughs> and then yeah. you get to be fancy yeah. and do the behind-your-back move that is the best thing ever. Now, how surprising did you find the subplot of them putting Qui-Gon on the council? Uh, very, because it made me wonder what the hell that line meant in uh, Phantom Menace when Obi-Wan said, if you'd followed the code, you'd be on the council. 
Because that line well, made me think that they there was just no chance of him being on the council because he was such a rebel, but he made the choice to not be on the council. I think, though, if you view it differently having read this, though, he's not saying, like, if you followed the code, they would let you in. It was, look, if you would just fall in line and buy in, then you would do it. You would be fine. Right. But because... I mean, you, he had his chance, he just didn't. Yeah. If you would stop being so difficult, then you would probably be happy on the council. Yeah, I mean, that's another alternate timeline, too, right? Is the timeline where he takes that position and maybe has more of a say in the years to come, you know? Because um, we can, I think, it's pretty easy to see that the point where the Jedi really are done is when they become generals. Yeah. And, you know, would Qui-Gon have gone as headfirst into a war? I don't know. Maybe. I, I don't think he would. Yeah. Yeah, I don't feel like he would. Because um. yeah, that ends up being, you know, that ends up being the Jedi's great sin. Yeah. Is becoming warriors. Um, you know, when Yoda tells Luke that, that they're not warriors, you know, they're not supposed to be, but they were. They were. Because and, at the time this book takes place, the, the princess says something to Obi-Wan about uh, what happens if two Jedi fight and Obi-Wan basically laughs at her because, like, that just wouldn't happen. Yeah. Can we go ahead and get out of the way? Rail Avaros is my nominee for the worst Star Wars name of the of the book. Oh, yeah. Rail oh, man. Rail Avaros. I did not care for his character. The, the point of him to me was his backstory basically just setting up why the council doesn't want to accept older Padawans or older students. I kind of liked Rail. <sighs> I didn't. I he killed he killed his own Padawan and then got sent to rule a planet. Oh, but he felt real bad about it. He did feel real bad. <laughs> and that's okay. He did feel real bad. As long as he feels bad. I thought he was there to be just kind of a fallen big brother to Qui-Gon. You know, to give Qui-Gon, you know, since since Dooku's out of the picture, it's almost giving he's kind of a half mentor to Qui-Gon. Yeah. Because he's he's a little older. And he was trained by Dooku before him. Um, so, well, and it gives you a good another foil for Qui Gon. Like, here's another guy who, you know, has seen the prophecies, kind of is on that same track, doesn't believe in the rules, and kind of slips off this way to basically, I mean, leave the Jedi more or less. Um, well, I like that. I like seeing a Jedi who is um, he hasn't gone dark, right? He's just kind of slid off to the side. <laughs> you know, he's like, I'm just going to... The, the idea that there would be Jedi that would not leave the Order or whatever, but they would use the powers that they have for other things. He's mm-hmm. not falling in love. He's just having sex. Yeah, he's having lots of sex without attachment. So, you know, he found that loophole. Um, <laughs> Which but, has come up in other books, too. That's yeah, a new thing in canon. Like, yeah, Jedis yeah. can do it. You just yeah. can't. You can't say I love you. You just can't love him. <laughs> don't don't kiss him on the mouth. Yeah, exactly. I think George yeah, you can't, loves that. <laughs> yeah, you can't kiss him on the mouth. That's exactly right, Beth. Um, <laughs> that's when you go dark. But the idea that he's a Jedi, that he has the abilities and he has the 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 talent and the the training, but he's he's not off trying to destroy the galaxy as a Sith. He's just living the high life. Right. Which you gotta imagine that probably happens a lot in the Jedi. Like out of ten thousand, I mean, surely some kid at fifteen is like, 
look, I can do all this magic shit. I'm out of here. Like, it's like when the Mormon kids, it's like when the Mormon kids get their, or the, um, oh, yeah. Amish, uh, the Amish kids get their year to kind of like go be wild, you know, like some of them don't come back. I'm sure. That That's a book I want to read. Was it breaking Jedi? Yeah. They- <laughs> yeah. Oh, you get one year off. Yeah. I mean, you gotta imagine there's like Jedi crime Lords. Yeah. And like, you know, Jedi like con men and stuff, I mean, you know. It would be so easy to do that. How how could you not be tempted to do that? Surely someone gave in at some point. I mean, of course, we're all terrible people. Of course we would want to do that. You know, that, that's why we don't get to be Jedi. Right. <laughs> Which you know just exposes like the Jedi taking people as babies is horrifying. Like yeah. it is. It is a religious cult. Like they take you and brainwash you and are basically like, you don't love your mom anymore. You love this man that we've stuck you with. Now grow a braid. Yeah, I mean they're 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 tools, <laughs> right? They're tools. Yeah. You know, they they well, aren't yeah, even really people. Obi-Wan is so brainwashed that he gets indignant about it in this book. He's like, Wait, what no, I'm not I chose this and it's an honor. I'm like, well, okay, me it, they told you it, it's an honor. Mm-hmm. One could say they're kind of like clones yeah. or first order stormtroopers or, you know, I mean that, that I do like in the sequels, they've made that parallel intentionally or not, you know, about the first order kidnapping kids and making them into stormtroopers because mm-hmm. it's not that different from the Jedi. Yeah. They just get fancier digs, you know, they, they do get a nicer house. Exegol's yeah. not nice. The the temple's pretty nice. The Exegol's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, no, I think you're. Uh, Rail is a. I don't know. He's he's a he's an interesting character. I I agree with Beth, and I didn't I didn't care for his personality that much because he just felt like I don't know who would play him in a movie. <laughs> um, he just felt like a you know the cocky ne'er do well. I would vote for Colin Firth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see a Colin Firth. Um, but see, now you're making Beth. No, like that's the problem. No, you're you him. you're not actually because I don't see him as Colin Firth. Okay. At all, he's Wait, what? What about is... Jeremy Renner? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Jeremy. Renner. Actually, Jeremy Renner's not that far off. Because <laughs> <laughs> I can see him playing abrasive and irritating me so easily. Yeah, just kind of, kind of cocky, and you know, for some reason, I don't, I don't think it's in the book, but I always thought Rail was probably like eating an apple at all times. <laughs> yeah, I, I get like, that kind of feeling too. Like he's spinning yeah. seeds around and yeah, shit. yeah, or he's got a toothpick in his mouth or something. You know? <laughs> just that kind of guy. Um, I, I didn't mind him, but uh, I do agree. I didn't. I wouldn't want to hang out with the dude too long. Um, but uh, were you interested though? I guess my question was: were Were you interested in his story with the princess and the planet and everything, or were we just here for the Kenobi Jin action? I thought the princess thing. I mean. I don't know about y'all. I mean, I saw the princess thing coming a mile away. Yeah. I mean, it was there the whole time. And mm-hmm. I did kind of like the story that his guilt kind of shielded him from it. Yeah, and no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I thought that was, you know, all right. I think it's another introduction to corporate stuff taking over the Republic and all that kind of mess that obviously the prequels love so much because who doesn't love a good trade dispute? <laughs> see, I didn't see it coming as much only because I was fairly unengaged with the storyline. Hmm. Like I didn't care as much. And so I, mean, I was fine. I was reading, it, I was paying attention, but I wasn't looking for, I don't know. Little hints weren't popping out to me because I was just not as engaged. 
um, as, as I was in the more interpersonal stuff mm-hmm. and the flashbacks and things like that. But I, you know, I said I'm more of a Star Wars historian at times. Like, I just want the info. Just give me the info. You know, just mm-hmm. give me give me new stuff. Give me new things that I can know that I can break out at parties and not meet girls. And I thought that, that the storyline was fine, but I was not ahead of it. So actually, it surprised me a little bit when it, when it happened. But I was, you know, and I was fine with it. I didn't I didn't love the story, but it was okay. I What I didn't care for were the – or not that I didn't care for. I The two um, – what are the miners or what are they? The prospectors, what are they? The jewel uh, thieves. The jewel yeah. thieves. Like they See, were a little – I liked them much more than I liked the story of Zerka and their whatever it is they were doing to try and take over the planet. I cared about those two characters much more than I cared about the corporate nonsense. I can see that. I mean, Zerka's been around in the books forever, right? Or been in the universe forever. Oh, yeah. Zerka's way old. That's an expanded universe thing. And, um, yeah, I, I don't know. For some reason, they just because of the way they came in and out of the story, I just didn't feel as engaged with them, I guess. I don't know what it was. They just didn't hit with me. Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just losing my attention span and I need it in a comic book form. So I have a picture. In front of me. <laughs> I, I felt like their backstories were built up really well. Yeah. And you, you could see why these two people cared about each other and what they were trying to do with their lives. And although I will say that it's odd that in episode one, Qui-Gon tells Shmi that they didn't come to Tatooine to free slaves when he goes really, really, really far out of his way to free Rahara from Zerka. I thought that too. Yeah, yeah but he's had a beat out of him over the last, you know, 20 years, <laughs> 10 years, I guess. I don't know. The slavery thing is interesting. I mean, it, it is something that, you know, the... It's always it's always been a sticking point in Phantom Menace, right? Where it's like, well, I'll save the one, but not the other. And even then, he gambles. Well, not really cheats, but but the idea that like the slavery exists on the that the that the Jedi are so tied to the Republic mm-hmm. that they ignore atrocities that are outside its borders is something that has been there and is interesting, but is also kind of dark and kind of messed up. And I, I like that now that we have a new wave of creators that they're questioning that. You know, the question, not, not to say that it's narratively flawed, just, okay, well, what does that mean then? Why are there slaves in this galaxy when you have these super powerful beings running around righting wrongs? And this, you know, took a few steps to try to answer that. Well, and that kind of leads me into something we touched on earlier, but I'd like to discuss a little more in depth is that the Jedi Council kind of sucks because they are so political and so caught up in infighting and arguing and and so wrapped up in the Chancellor. You leave Plo Koon alone. <laughs> and, and I thought at one point during this book that I was reading, I was like, wait, Barra Sophie kind of had a point. She went, oh, yeah. about it. she went about it the wrong way, but she really does kind of have a point. Yaddle, it was tough to be a yaddle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, you're, you're, you're not wrong. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that imagery of when you see the Jedi Council on Coruscant in all the movies, you know, they are up in a big tower above everything and not really part of the universe anymore um, and kind of blissfully ignoring what's happening around them, which I think was their big downfall. Again, except, I, I except point you towards the latest. Sorry, I point you towards the most recent episodes of Clone Wars, which are about that as well. And, I, you know, it could have Qui-Gon have changed the council if he was on it. Probably not. Probably not. 
you know, it makes Yoda obviously doesn't come out looking real good in this book. Um, and Mace really doesn't either. No. Well, Mace was always the most, he always felt like the most militant. Right. Of, of them. Once the Clone Wars happened, he, he seemed to be the one that almost relished it the most. Yeah, because he is like the warrior. He is a Jedi warrior yeah. through and through. He's like there's the best a, swordsman. There's stuff. a reason he's the only guy with a purple lightsaber. <laughs> yeah, because Sam Jackson wanted a purple lightsaber. Well, besides Oh, yeah. Besides <laughs> that, yeah. 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 No, Story-wise. No, I, I agree with you. The Jedi Council seems a little weak. Um, or like you said, corrupt. I mean, it's not a secret that part of this is based on the fall of the Roman Republic. And you could see the Jedi Council as a version of the, the, the very out-of-touch Senate at that time. And, you know, it's it's like I was saying at the, at the top of this, it is it, there is something that feels very authentic, but also feels a little uncomfortable about watching these characters that are presented heroic to us is not necessarily that as as being not just flawed, but rotten. almost. You know, like the, it's not that they're rotten, but the system is as a as a whole, they're rotten as a whole. They're falling apart. I think there's a there's a couple times in the books where Qui-Gon is talking to Obi-Wan and then he thinks, you know, hey, why do we bring up our kids on the richest planet in the richest place in the galaxy? They don't see real life. They just grow up with all these ideals. And and like Ahsoka discovered last week in the Clone Wars, you know, that the Jedi aren't in touch with real people. Yeah, that rings very true and very authentic. Maybe too authentic for you know for <laughs> our space fantasy you know for our for our for our magical space wizard story. But Sorry, it's, didn't it's, didn't mean to bring it down to real life. Yeah, trust me, no, nothing you can do can bring us down lower than real life right now. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a very it's always it's been you know as much crap as the prequels get, and, and a, a lot of it's deserved. I do enjoy the 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 greater context that they threw the story into, uh-huh. and this is part of it. Is 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 you know we you know in, in I th- I believe in the UK you can put Jedi Knight on your census. You can as your religion. Like, I want to say like <laughs> oh god, I wish I remember the number, but it's something crazy like eight percent of the country checked it last time. Claim, yeah, claim nice. Jedi. Yeah, and that's awesome. But at the same time, we see the Jedi weren't as we're saying the Jedi weren't perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, maybe even far from it. They were a little uh, less. Well, they were a lot less evil than the Sith. But were they good? Were they truly good? It's going to be interesting in High Republic to see them at a better time. Hopefully, a better time. Yeah, yeah. At, at a time where, at least, further out from the from the fall. So I'd assume they'd be a little, you know. But they're still kidnapping kids. Well, canon canon wise, I think this is the earliest we've seen the Jedi. Till, it's early till, we've seen anything. Yeah, yeah. Till, till the High Republic starts. This is, this is the earliest bit that we've been able to see. And yep. the yep. Jedi aren't looking great here. So hopefully, maybe there'll be a different kind of council in the High Republic. I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, this is the earliest. I mean, the flashbacks with Dooku are by far the earliest we've seen. Um, uh, I, I even think it mentions Jocasta New being a new librarian at some point. Yeah. Yep. Um, and it kind of gets a little more into the, her affection for Dooku, which is apparent in a deleted scene, I think, from Attack of the Clones, yep. where she kind of touches the face of the Dooku statue. Um, 
Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. They, I think they had a thing. <laughs> but no kissing. But no, <laughs> but, no, no, but no kissing. Not on the mouth. No, yeah. Not until he went Sith, because once you go Sith, you can <laughs> do whatever you want. He's a Jedi on the streets and a Sith in the sheets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dooku's been... It's terrible. Dooku has been interesting to me as a character that I had very, other than him being played by Christopher Lee, had very little interest in him from the movies. But as time has gone on, I think they've built an interesting character there. The only thing that rubbed me the wrong way about Claudia Gray in any book that I've read so far was when she had somebody in this book mistake his name for Dookie. And I just thought that that could have been deleted. Well, I because, didn't even catch that. I didn't because, that. yeah, everybody thought that and giggled the first time they heard his name. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> well, it's, a ter- it's a terrible name. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't. Uh, I didn't. I don't. I didn't catch that joke. But which is worse, Count Dooku or Darth Tyrannus? Okay, well, at least Darth Tyrannus sounds a little tougher. I mean, I mean, to be fair, Darth Tyrannus stupid. is a little on the nose. Yeah. yeah. But so is Vader, since Vader. But so is, is Sidious. Yeah, yeah, Sidious. They're all pretty. Listen, the Sith. They're not. They're not the most original. They're not great with names. They're. They're very literal people. <laughs> they don't. They don't deal in metaphor well. So. Right. You know, You're going to kill the Jedi. I am. I am Darth. Darth kill, I am Darth. Kill your babies. <laughs> I am Darth. Take over the galaxy. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a little on the nose. But I they're like, really busy figuring out how to bring people back to life and stuff. They don't have time to think about names. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, Plagius. I, I mean, yeah. I did find it interesting. This book gave us yet another technology that makes your lightsaber not work. <laughs> the new books have been obsessed <laughs> with either a medal or a shield or whatever it may be. Well, I remember this one, it just like turned it off, right? Like if you hit it, it turned your lightsaber off. Yes. Sometimes you need kryptonite, man. <laughs> when, the, when the heroes are too powerful, you got to have a way to knock them down to size. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then they pick up some blasters and they're like, all right, problem solved. <laughs> That's true. They're also pretty good shots. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. I, I felt that was a little of an unnecessary impediment, and, and I found the payoff to the prophecy a little weird. Um, that Obi Wan yeah. just accidentally gets that crystal in his lightsaber, right? Or well, even they bring up that like, hey, wait, why are these guys building shields against lightsabers when there's only like three people in this system that have lightsabers? Yeah. Well, I viewed that as, I mean, we're setting up for the Clone Wars already. Like, yeah. the plan goes back that far. Um, and so Sidious is somehow trying to figure out, I guess he's a senator at that point, but, you know, technology to get things moving. Well, and also planets that, I mean, I guess we don't know the future of this planet necessarily, but most of the systems in the Confederacy aren't Sith, right? They're They're people that are rebelling against the Republic. And so I could see on systems where they don't get along with the Republic that if they ever want to stand against them, they're going to have to deal with the Jedi problem. You know, lately, if you say like, okay, what, what is the number one thing that's going to keep us from standing up to the Republic? Well, they got these guys with lightsabers. And so, you know, it, it, it makes sense. Plus, I mean, you could sell that stuff too. Uh-huh. Well, I think they were trying to. Yeah, anti-Jedi tech, right? So, um, but uh, it is, it is, it does feel sometimes like they they 
jump through some hoops to put our characters in danger a little too much. Um, where they get, I mean, just have them lose the lightsaber <laughs> or something. Mm-hmm. You know, they do that all the time. Have it break. Have it be no cell surface, whatever. <laughs> They're too far away from towers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's no cell, there's no lightsaber service here. It's fine. It doesn't work. You know. But I mean, they are pretty least, far out. Yeah, because this feels like a a, a system that's going to go Confederate. Oh yeah, I yeah. assume so. Yeah. So I have like that. We've gotten to know more about Serrano, where Dooku's from, and, and, and he said they're giving us little bits and pieces of him. But this idea of you know, well, we learned that Qui-Gon was Dooku's apprentice. He, they mentioned it in Attack of the Clones, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. So, you know, uh, so it was a kind of a cool connection. And, I mean, apparently we only follow people that have been the apprentices of other people we know. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I like, I don't know, I like learning more about this stuff. But, um, uh, I don't know. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, after after I read this book, I did go back and watch Attack of the Clones and I did now notice that I had not noticed before the meaning behind the look that Obi-Wan gives Qui-Gon when he says, hey, you, I'm going to take this kid as my new apprentice. And the way Obi-Wan looked at him then, I was just like, okay, he's a little surprised. But now I'm like, okay, now he's pissed. Yeah, we've been here before. His feelings just got super hurt. <laughs> Obi-Wan is a little sensitive. <laughs> but now well, he's so cute now with his little braid and everything. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah. looks, he looks like a sensitive young man. I, I do appreciate that uh, the character Pax pointed out that their ter- their haircuts are stupid as shit. Yeah. Yeah, I like that too. He called him Obi bad hair, I think. <laughs> Does he? I guess I, think- I missed all the blazing insults. In this <laughs> My favorite little detail with Obi-Wan in this book too is at the beginning of the book, he loves flying. Like it's like yes. his favorite thing. And by the end, he's like, Nope, not anymore. Yeah. I hate flying. I do not want to be on starships anymore. I didn't need a reason for him to hate flying, but I enjoyed the reason they gave. Yeah. Yeah, no, I thought I thought that was cool. And then the very end of the book, of course, ends on the super sad note of Qui-Gon is dead and he's about to take him out and sets him on fire. And and he's basically making the oath that he will train Anakin and I'm going to do just as good a job as you would do master. And Oh, that didn't work out so great. No, I like that little behind the scenes of the uh, quiet funeral though. I thought that was cool. Like that was a scene I've always found effective in the movie, you know, despite whatever about the movie, I think that scene's pretty effective. Yeah. Even, even the sheave cut with his hood <laughs> down, which is, you know, the most blatant, like wink, wink, here he is. But it still works on screen. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, that's the only... Yeah, that's fine. I, I was just going to say, overall, I think this is once again one of those things that, as you said, Chad, it's working to make the prequels better. And I feel like it did it really effectively because when I went back and watched The Phantom Menace again, I mean, of course, there's parts I'm still going to hate, but the parts that I didn't really hate the first time or any of those subsequent times, I do now kind of appreciate more. So how do you guys feel? Did this did this make parts of the movie any better for you? I don't think... I think it didn't make any parts of that movie better for me because I already liked the Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan stuff. Like, that's the part in The Phantom Menace I do really like. Um, so I don't think it changed that too much, except for just giving me more Qui-Gon, which I'll always appreciate. 
it made me a little more comfortable with the the uh, the prophecy stuff having a little more of an understanding of it um you know we say it, it, this book is better than the prequels in general <laughs> so like i mean uh, or at least the characterizations are better and the dialogue is better so uh but it, it did give me i think it gave me a little more appreciation for their relationship it's it's one of those things that these Star Wars writers do where they, you know, find that, like you're better talking about, they find that little look between Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon and she decides to make a whole storyline out of that, basically, is what it feels like, right? It was like, okay, that moment where Obi-Wan looks really hurt, well, where does that come from? And kind of the whole premise of this book comes from that um, or a similar feeling. So I, I, do, I, I do feel that this kind of retroactive you know, uh, character building and, and, and motivations and all that stuff. I, I do think it enhances the movies. I enjoy Phantom Menace, honestly, more than the other two prequels. Oh, absolutely. Which I never thought I would say. <laughs> but uh, it's the one I can watch the easiest. And uh, But, I, you know, I think, it, I think it gave me more appreciation for them. How about you, Beth? Oh, you, you said it did. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think right, one, so, one thing I've gotten written down, that there's a yeah, quote in this sure. book I like a lot. And it's Qui-Gon says it when they're talking about the light versus the dark and how, you know, it's always portrayed as it's one or the other, you know, you're going to fight. All right. So the quote is, it matters, Qui-Gon said quietly, it matters which side we choose, even if there'll never be more light than darkness, even if there can be no more joy in the galaxy than there is pain. For every action we undertake, for every word we speak, for every life we touch, it matters. I don't turn toward the light because it means someday I'll win some sort of cosmic game. I turn toward the light because it is the light. That's super nice. Yeah, I really liked that quote. And I really feel like that sums up who Qui-Gon is as a person. Yeah. Like, it's not about, we have to pick this side because the other side is so terrible. You know, it's... It's not about winning. Right. Which I, it, sometimes, you know, Star Wars can come off that way. That it's always light versus dark, which is any story, really. Well, and when you're in war, you want to win. The Jedi get to, you know, he has that attitude, but then you get to a position in the Clone Wars where they're trying to win. Right. Where it is about, you know, coming out ahead of somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know, so so that could be that's also an indicator of how they lose their way. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not they're not necessarily fighting for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, so and yeah, that's really show. nice. That's a really nice pull. No, that's that's nice. Well, and it goes to show how good Claudia Gray is. <laughs> she yeah. is. She's she's Absolutely. really good. Um, hopefully, we'll have time to get to Princess of Alderaan and Bloodlines because they're both great. Yeah, and uh, Lost Stars. Oh, of course, and Lost Stars. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I hope she's and, got. And I mean, we have we have nothing but time, Chad. We we do have a lot of time. And Doesn't she have a High Republic book? Yes, she does. Okay, excellent. Uh, she's one of the first two. Charles Soule's the first book, and then she's the second. Okay. I will say one funny thing that happened. Um, I saw Claudia Gray speak, not Last Dragon Con, but I think it was two years ago. Yeah. Um, uh, back when we could have conventions and she uh, I'm trying to look up I guess she was there talking about Lost Stars and she said during the panel somebody asked you know who would you really like to write and she said on the panel I'd really like to write Qui-Gon and so then she said this year when I saw her speak she was like yeah I said that two years ago and like two weeks later they called me and said you can do this must be nice <laughs> so, I thought that was awesome. If you can ever see Claudia Gray speak, she's really good. 
That's, um, awesome. That's great. Yeah, she's a great speaker. I've met her at her table. She's super nice. Um, but yeah, and really like is into writing Star Wars. Like you can tell it's something she's always wanted to do, and I think it shows. No, she seems well, to be very it, Star Wars literate. Um, it, if we get stuff. to, if we get to have Dragon Con this year, um, uh, uh, you, you will not. I think, yeah, I'm. I applied for media access today. I don't know if it's going to happen, but yeah. I applied anyway. We'll see. I mean, they canceled the Olympics, so I'm pretty sure Dragon Cons. Yeah, we'll see. No, I. She. Yeah, she's definitely been a standout. She's definitely been a standout, and I'm. I'm excited. I. I. I hope she becomes a perennial. And uh, and with her participation in High Republic, it seems like they understand that she's one of their best storytellers. Right now, she's part yeah. of the brain. She's part of the brain trust, which is which is awesome. So overall, you guys recommend this as a read because I know last week we didn't feel like, or last episode, we didn't feel like everybody necessarily needed to read the novelization. So, do we feel like this is a must read? I do. I mean, I think it's it's got enough with the prophecy. The characters are written really well. It's a really fast read. Um, I don't think it's. It's not a young adult novel, but it's not too far off. Like, it's not really heavy. So I definitely think it's something everybody should check out. Uh, I think it's worth checking out on the strength of her writing. And also, if you're a fan of any of these characters, uh, then yeah. I think it's definitely a good canon book to sink your teeth into and, and learn just a little bit more about the galaxy and these characters. Yeah, I think that's a good point. It's a good, like, if you've never read any of the new canon or, you know, really any other expanded books, this might be a good starting point too. Um, Cause you don't have to have a lot of knowledge of the universe outside of the movies and it reads real easy. That's true. That's true. It very much stands on its own mm -hmm. um, just as a, as you know, a prequel to the prequels, but it, it, it is, it, it would, it is a good jumping on point. I, I think if you want to get into these books, like you said, cause when you get into you know, when we get to Resistance Reborn, that's more, that's that's not entry-level material. Um, no. That's, no. That's a little, if, you know. If you're listening to this and you have not read Resistance Reborn, you need to make sure to read everything else before Resistance Reborn. <laughs> and, that, and watch stuff. and Yeah, yeah. that yeah. is the payoff of Resistance Reborn. Yeah, there's a yeah. lot to do before you read Resistance Reborn, but this is not setting up a series of books. It's not delving into details that are so deep and mystical that you have to have read or done a bunch of other stuff first. You can just pick this up and read it and appreciate it for the characters you already love. Yeah, exactly. So if you guys don't have anything else, um, Chad, why don't you tell us what we're going to be doing next and why we're going to be doing it? So this is not an entirely unoriginal thought, but I'm a big fan of Ahsoka Tano. <laughs> No. I know, I know, I know. Is, is there a show she's currently on? There is, there is. <laughs> and um, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of the character, as, as many are. And while we're talking about Claudia Gray, there's also another um, Star Wars writer who has been bringing a female voice to the, to the books in a way that it was kind of missing before, and that's E.K. Johnson. So next time we're going to talk about E.K. Johnson's book, Ahsoka. And um, I, I recommend if anyone wants to that they get the audiobook because it is read by Ashley Eckstein, the voice of Ahsoka Tano. And that gives it just a whole other level. 
And uh, yeah, I want to read Ahsoka, and we'll, we'll talk about Ahsoka. Uh, she's, I think she's the most popular character in this new era of Star Wars, and she's an amazing character. And so, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about that. Right. The, the first great. time I read it, I agree. The first time I read it, I, I got it on Kindle Unlimited yeah. when it just came out, and uh, then they took it off. So I was like, all right, well, I need to read it again. And I went ahead and got the audiobook, and it is so much more impactful when it's read by Ashley Eckstein. Yeah. And 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 E.K. Johnson, the book does lean a little more YA. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that is true. But as we've learned in the past 10 years, YA is... Uh, doesn't really mean much, <laughs> you know. I mean, there, there's the line is so blurred these days between them um, because uh, most of the people I know that have read Harry Potter are old old people. So, um, but uh, I, I don't know. I really like, and I I also really liked Queen Shadow, and I'm looking forward to Queen's Gambit, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, the sequel to it. So uh, yeah, we're gonna, we're going to talk a little Ahsoka, and it's timely because of her coming back to Clone Wars and also the rumors of her live action self coming on to uh, the Mandalorian. All right. So until then, um, thank you guys for joining us tonight and uh, we will talk to all of you soon. (laughs) 